So one of the main problems in regulating social media is that we have, of course, illegal content on those platforms and there is a public interest in um, that the law is observed on these platforms as well. So, But in the attempt to do that, states sometimes um, um, enforce regulation um, which creates incentives for the platforms to endowed just to remove. That is Professor Dr. Wolfgang Schultz, Research Director at the Humboldt Institute. Since 1997, he has been a lecturer at the law faculty of the University of Hamburg, as Herr Schultz has quite an interesting background. At the beginning of my studies, I was not sure whether I choose law or mathematics, and so I studied both in parallel. Since July 2001, Professor Schultz also has been a member of the directorate of the Hans Bredo Institute. The focus of his work has been on issues regarding the regulation of media content on the internet. And in that capacity, he has also been advising the European Council. Wolfgang Schultz and I had an interesting conversation on the difficulties of governing content on a European scale. And how, for example, governments can help businesses and corporations to regulate themselves. Here is our conversation. But uh, maybe to start the whole thing off, you could maybe very briefly introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your position that you have here at The Hig. So my name is Wolfgang, Wolfgang Schulz. Uh, I'm a lawyer by education, but I also study journalism. So a little bit of an interdisciplinary being <laughs> and uh, do a lot of interdisciplinary work as well. I'm one of the research directors of the Humboldt Institute for Internet and Society. Um, and that means that I'm responsible for drafting the strategies, working with the postdocs we have on our research programs and uh, things like that. Um, you divide your time between several institutes and several functions. Uh, the HIG is not the only place you visit. Uh, you also have an appointment at the Bredo Institute in Hamburg. Um, that's correct. Um, I've been working with the Bredo Institute for a couple of, of, of years, uh, uh, quite a while, and um, I have a joint professorship there, and that is a cooperation between the Bredo Institute and the law faculty of the University of Hamburg. So I teach in uh, Hamburg, um, and I do a lot of research in uh, Hamburg as well, um, but the things that especially are dedicated to issues of internet and society that's something I do here at the Humboldt Institute in Berlin. Could you maybe briefly talk a little bit about some of the research um, topics that you do here? I mean, there's a, a broad range of different things you do. Could you maybe briefly explain or touch upon some of these research projects? So one of the things um, we uh, do research on here is uh, revolving around uh, artificial intelligence and uh, um, it's actually a cooperation project between the Bredo Institute in Hamburg and the Humboldt Institute here in Berlin. Um, and that is uh, researching the specifics of uh, automated decision making or decision making that is supported by algorithmic systems. And we are especially interested in um, better understanding the interaction between machines and human beings in this process um, and uh, to take an example um, to, to uh, better understand what it needs for a human being in the loop um, to make a meaningful decision when you have also algorithmic systems. Very often we say um, as soon as there is an uh, 
a human being in the loop, everything is okay. But we would argue, no, it's not okay. It very much depends on the resources, uh, the knowledge, the skills, and so on, liability frameworks for this um, a person to make a difference. So that's one of the things uh, we, are, we are interested in when it comes to algorithms and specifically learning algorithms and specifically those that have something to do with what people now call and have been calling for a while artificial intelligence. Now you have, as you already stated, a background in law and journalism, also I believe in mathematics. Maybe you could explain a little bit about how things like law and journalism have an influence on your position here at a research institute for internet and society. So that's, that's uh, I think, an extremely interesting question. Um, maybe I'll answer in, in, in two parts. One is, um, since you mentioned uh, the mathematics, thing um, at the beginning of my studies I was not sure whether I choose law or mathematics and so I studied both in parallel and uh, later on decided um, to, to take the uh, path in legal studies um, but nevertheless um, um, it influenced my thinking and uh, when we now work with people from uh, uh, computer science um, then um, it's extremely helpful to have this background And uh, we did a paper, for example, about a very strange thing called uh, type theory. Uh, and, and I imagined that that was something I would, was working on when I was a student. And so I could um, uh, resonate, with the, uh, resonate with the things that the, the computer science people did. But um, um, the second part is maybe more influential from my day-to-day -day work. And um, the journalism study I did It um, uh, influences my thinking in, in two ways. One is that uh, very often we have this template of, of uh, media, editorial media, uh, with which we operate when we think about public communication and, and uh, we um, tend, many people tend in, in uh, policy making uh, to um, uh, have this old thinking of traditional media and want to uh, compare everything, every new development we have with what the traditional media uh, did. And so that I have a, a background in um, researching journalistic content and how it is produced um, is um, um, extremely Uh, helpful and the second thing is that I have uh, learned to do uh, some empirical work as well, which is not normal for a lawyer. As a lawyer, you normally work with texts, and and you do not um, read statistics uh, and and know what's behind that. And um, that background is is extremely helpful for me when it comes to uh, understanding and uh, to some extent taking part in empirical research. Now, you do a great a variety of different research or, or help advise other research proje projects. We're not uh, going to talk about all of them, but I'd like to talk um, or focus on specifically, uh, well, maybe one or two uh, subject matters. Um, maybe to briefly introduce those, uh, you are also a member of the Committee of Experts on Inter Internet Intermediaries of the European Council. Could you maybe very briefly explain what your role is there and what kind of advice do you provide there? 
So actually, this committee you are referring to has already delivered uh, the uh, main deliverables. So I'm working still with the Council of Europe, but on a on a new project on um, AI and human rights. Um, so artificial intelligence again is is an, a subject. But this subcommittee you're referring to um, was an extremely interesting. Um, um, work that we did um, and uh, the task was to give uh, advice to the member states of the Council of Europe which you should not uh, confuse with the European Union so more countries there um, uh, involved Russia and Turkey for example to take some problematic uh, examples in terms of human rights um, or challenging <laughs> at least uh, um, and, and for those member states, uh, the, the group um, designed uh, guidelines how they should treat um, intermediaries um, in a human rights um, friendly and, and human rights uh, um, respecting way. And that is not an, an easy, easy task because um, uh, one thing is um, to understand what intermediaries actually are. So um, um, that is a term that in public communication and also in academic um, discourses has become very popular. Um, and normally we refer to intermediaries when we want to address um, services that have a kind of structural function for the way we communicate in a society, but are not traditional media that work um, um, uh, editorial like like uh, traditional media do and um, the term has become a kind of umbrella concept for for different services like um, social media platforms facebook is an example but also search engines like google uh, or micro blogging services like twitter um, so you have a bunch of different uh, services but they all have in common that they are not working as uh, traditional media work but on the other hand they are not just a technical tool in the hand of the user they have a structural function for communication and so many states in Europe and in other uh, parts of the world uh, struggle with the task to find an adequate regulatory framework for those services and uh, we wanted to, to um, give some guidance uh, from a human rights point of view. Now, you are describing your role as an advisory role on a committee advising the European Council. Um, could you maybe describe a little bit some of the problems you bounce into when you have to uh, take into consideration all of these different nations that have all different understandings about human rights? Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about how that eventually translates into sensible governance uh, yeah, of the Internet. So the, the advantage of, of the Council of Europe, um, and that's why I like to work with them, even though the institution as such is not extremely powerful, they do not have so many really binding rules, they um, can produce helpful things without um, um, really regulating themselves, but just give guidance. Um, but the, the thing that makes it extremely valuable, in my view, is that um, um, with the um, European Convention on Human Rights, we have a, um, um, accepted a traditional um, um, way of, of uh, um, describing human rights, um, 
and um, a kind of minimum standard that all the countries with their different cultural background adhere to and they are bound by the uh, convention and they have to accept the rulings of the um, uh, European Court on Human Rights and this court actually relies on our work when it comes to this new phenomenon. So that's one of the ideas that you have this commissions coming up with ideas and when the court uh, has a case uh, on that that they can refer to these uh, um, recommendations. So I think the the main challenge in this case is not that the the um, traditions of the states and the cultural context is so different. That is an issue. Um, the challenges here were more um, that these intermediaries um, have. Um, completely different functions, um, uh, which makes it hard to say what we normally do in law. When you fall into this category, you are this category of media service provider, for example, then you have these kind of, of uh, uh, privileges, um, access to information privileges or things like that, and you have this set of obligations. But that uh, is only possible when um, you have a very clear uh, link between a function and, and this uh, function that the service fulfills for society and the individual um, and, and these um, legal realms. Uh, with intermediary services, you don't have that anymore. Um, so uh, take Facebook, for example. Facebook is a kind of hybrid. Hey, it helps you to, to communicate with your friends and, and uh, um, that's one function. It helps you to, to, to some extent manage your personality to um, um, create a persona for for the internet, how you want to be perceived, how uh, uh, um, you want people to interact with you. Um, but also many people get their information about the society uh, from the newsfeed of Facebook, for example. And that's a mixture of personal um, uh, communication and mass media content, for example. So even with this one intermediary, um, social media platforms uh, of the the Facebook style, um, we have a bundle of, of functions and that is a challenge. And one of the recommendations uh, we gave to the member states is um, um, maybe do not try to find a one-size-fits-all solution for regulating intermediaries, but look into specific functions and then find a human rights respecting way to deal with those different functions. And that can mean that uh, Facebook, for example, does not fall under one regime, um, but many in a, in a country. Um, could you maybe talk a little bit about some specific cases you looked at while you were doing work for the committee? Is there any specific um, yeah, moments that stand out that you studied, maybe some specific violations of human rights that you said, oh, that could, that could be useful? So one thing we discussed a lot was... Um, how can we avoid that states create legal uh, systems that lead to overblocking? So one of the main problems in regulating social media is that we have, of course, illegal content on those platforms and there is a public interest in um, in um, um, that the law is observed on these platforms as well. So... Uh, as we know now, uh, it's not a legal vacuum online. <laughs> the same rules apply when you uh, um, address someone online, um, um, then um, 
um, libel, for example, is the same thing as when you address them in, in a traditional media or on the street or whatever. So there's no special um, exemption for um, this kind of thing online. People start to learn that, but it's, it's uh, uh, still sometimes that people communicate as if uh, there was no law protecting the the personal rights or the honor of, of another uh, person. Um, but in the attempt to do that, states sometimes um, um, enforce regulation, um, which creates incentives for the platforms to endow just to remove. And that, of course, is not a good thing for, for freedom of communication, because then um, just when someone complains, then um, um, Facebook or another social media service provider will say, okay, we delete and, and that's it. And that might mean for, for, uh, for countries uh, that uh, some voices are not um, um, to be heard anymore. That might not be such a great problem um, in, in countries where you have other means Of, of communication uh, but in some countries where the opposition for example has only the chance to, to use this kind of uh, service to get their message across because uh, the media is very much streamlined by, by the government um, then that can create uh, huge problems and so what we um, um, advised um, the member states is to find a way that um, for example you do not use um, time constraints and say you have to delete that in uh, 10 hours or something, uh, which uh, leads to this that an, an rational uh, provider would then say, I can't check that in 10 hours and so I delete because I want to comply. Uh, that is a concrete example and, and we had a lot of debates about the uh, so-called Network Enforcement Act in, in German, it's Netzwerkdurchsetzungsgesetz, which is um, a word that uh, anybody can pronounce in German in Asia that is uh, working in the internet field. That is a kind of uh, export um, uh, champion uh, product uh, of Germany. Um, and there many people criticize, and I'm among them, that uh, um, that is designed in a way that is um, incentivizing um, removing uh, legal content. So that's one thing we've discussed a lot. How can we guide member states in, in uh, making um, this kind of regulatory frameworks that uh, um, are not likely to create this overblocking? Of course, um, the European Council, the Council of Europe, is already a bigger conglomerate of all these different nations. But of course, it's not the entire world. And that's also very important to realize. Whereas, of course, the Internet goes a bit broader than that. Um, is the Council of Europe uh, at the moment sort of at the forefront of discussing these kind of regulations? Do you as a committee, have you looked at other places in the world where they are already a bit further or are they lacking behind? What kind of a position does the Council of Europe at this moment takes on the governance of the Internet? I would say that um, the Council of Europe is, when it comes to a human rights-centered um, view on uh, intermediaries very much in the forefront of the development. So things like that are discussed in other um, parts of the world as well. Um, but many people are actually looking to, to Europe uh, to get uh, some ideas how to 
um, regulate in a balanced matter, in a balanced way. There are some some other countries where um, you have debates like that. There is the UNESCO and the UN in general, so the um, um, Special Rapporteur for Freedom of Expression um, has drafted some ideas on uh, human rights-friendly um, intermediary regulation as well, but that is very much in line with uh, what we have designed, and I would say that we are a little more um, um, detailed in, in what we suggest. And one thing that um, uh, took a lot of work in the uh, Council of Europe committee was uh, to address the industry. One thing is to um, give guidance to states, but the um, Council of Europe committees um, now give some um, um, guidance and some some um, ideas how to, to self-regulate to industry uh, members as well. Since uh, what the companies do um, is uh, important for how we communicate in uh, our societies. And so the, the internal law, the uh, uh, terms of service, the community guidelines, um, they have a structuring effect. And um, uh, one traditional way would say if there is something problematic about that, then the states should regulate that. But that comes with a lot of um, uh, additional challenges. Uh, one challenge is that uh, the jurisdiction conflicts that might come there because one country regulates it this way, the other country the other way. Um, and so um, um, what um, responsibilities these companies have under a human rights uh, regime become more and more important because that's something that they can do and uh, they should do. And uh, especially in countries where you cannot rely on the government to be the guardian of human rights, then the responsibility for the companies is even uh, bigger than um, in other countries. So this element is something that we discuss really um, deeply um, in, in, um, when it comes to human rights, but also constitutional lawyers are discussing what uh, is the right way to, to treat the uh, intermediaries there. Um, uh, some say that they are really kind of hybrids between the state and the society, so that to some extent they should be treated like states, and in some respect they are just private companies and they um, have to be dealt with this way. So that uh, indicates how um, how significant this this development is and how challenging it is for discussions about human rights and, and fundamental rights under national constitutions. That was Professor Dr. Wolfgang Schultz. If you want to know more about his research, click on the links in the show notes. And as always, for more information on the Alexander von Humboldt Institute for Internet and Society, visit hiig.de. Ladies and gentlemen, if you learned something today, if you are 20 minutes wiser about the internet, then don't forget to leave us a comment or rating on iTunes. This was Exploring Digital Spheres. Catch you on the flip side.